It's fun. It's a working <laughs> pro- Listen, we a baby podcast. It's it's hard out here on these streets. You need a little water to cleanse the cleanse the palate. Cleanse the throat. All the improv. everybody. It's your host, Natalia, and I'm so excited to be with you here today. Um, today, I'm talking to the wonderful and delightful and ever-sunshiny Emily Denny. <laughs> ever-sunshiny. You are always so sunshiny. Is that true? That is very true. I don't self-identify as sunshiny, but that's what everybody tells me. It's Okay, see, it's not just me that's... Yeah, other people have told me that I'm like, you're like, just, you're such a nice person. I was like, I don't self-identify as a sunshiny person, though. I think that's your natural aesthetic, though. I guess so, yeah. I hate to be the one to aver <laughs> bad news, but it is it is what it is. But yeah, Emily is here to talk to me today, because, like, you know, another great conversation, another great lady. I met Emily when we were in undergrad, mm-hmm. and she's just pretty fabulous. She um, was... I should, like, let you tell about your life. Anyway, continue. About, I mean, you continue is what I'm trying to say. About how we met or about my life? About your life. Be like, well, I mean, either one is really fine. It's going to be like a cliffhanger. How did it tell and I mean, we'll never know. You'll never it know. It was sometime in undergrad. It was sometime Maybe in we can give clues. But there was many avenues. Because, there were, yeah. Because Clark is so small. It's true. I probably ran into you. Because, like, like, it was like you know someone, and then you Clark know someone, yes. and then something brings you together for a different purpose. Yes. And then all of a sudden you're buying each other breakfast yes. at your work-study job. It's cute. It's cute. Our love was eternal, it is was. what I'm trying to Like, three and a half hours in a room together. <laughs> so, so, that I mean, that's a good story. So, we met because um, we both worked... Well, that wasn't actually why we met, but... When we really started to get to know each other was because uh, we both worked at admissions, and so we have these shifts where we, like, sit in a tiny office, well, answer phone calls, usually yeah. from annoying parents, but we'd answer phone calls, and, like, it was, ours was so early, was too. Was it 8.30 to yeah. 11 or yes. something? Yes, yeah. we had the first shift, and, like, when you're tired, because you know you were in the <laughs> library, oh, my word, it was, yeah. it was, it was a lot, but our friendship blossomed, and it bloomed, and it's quite lovely. Yeah, and we alternated getting breakfast. This is true. This is very bistro. true. Every college is like the equivalent of the bistro, right? Oh, yeah. I'm where assuming It's so. like something where you can get to-go items with it's Monopoly like a cafe <laughs> With the fake money that they're giving. <laughs> fake money. Listen, don't like, get me started about Clarkson. Right, like you give them like $8,000. Like, okay, so here's 100 fake dollars. Dollars that I want you to spend. By a senior year, though, because it was your junior, my senior year when we did that, right? Yeah. yeah. Um... I got I got whatever the lowest I had the five I think what was it one five or what one hundred block and I got like the yeah. most dining dollars because I lived in an apartment I was like I don't mm-hmm. need this yeah you just get some dining dollars and right. lived on that sushi yeah quite frankly I was off honest. the meal plan so I was like that that senior that was like you got dining dollars no you got some dining, <laughs> dining dollars <laughs> but that yeah. really. That low-key was how many of us lived our lives. It was like a currency. I was like, you got guest wives? It was so, listen, it was so real. Because really, I think about, I think about Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. That's when I think, like, I saw everybody pop out of the woodwork. (laughs) No, truly, like, everybody and their mother popped out of the woodwork. Because 
It was like, do you have guest swipes? Do you have dining dollars to pay for somebody to get in? Do you have like the meal block so you can just like swipe? Because yeah. our things, I'm not gonna lie, Thanksgiving at Clark. It was a momentous time. It was, it's the best meal they serve yeah. all year. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's packed. Like they shut down the dining hall, like in the middle of the day to get ready. And everybody is in there. And there's a feast. There is a feast. Like it's true. Like I feel, okay. What I do like is like, I feel like other places or other schools, like we do these great things. And it's like during the holidays, we have this massive feast or like any type of entity that kind of says that. But like Clark is very much delivered Mm -hmm. when it came to Thanksgiving. They very much delivered. A proper meal. A good, good meal. Stuffing, turkey. There was, like, a bunch of different dessert. Ugh. Yeah. Honestly, would go back. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I'm on campus, I'm going to, like, plan around Thanksgiving feast. Everything else. Because was that, was it, like, the Tuesday? Yeah, it was always, like, in the middle of the week or something. It was good because yeah. it was right before everybody left. Yes. And I feel like people low-key did not leave. To go to, to Thanksgiving. Go to the, yeah, yeah, to go okay. to the feast. Because depending on who your professor was, you probably didn't, sometimes you didn't have, like, that Tuesday class. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you could have left. Yeah. But none of us did. Yeah. You never did. That's actually one of the most amount of parties ever popped up at one time on campus. <laughs> yeah. Just showing. Okay, anywho. Introduce you, though. <laughs> and not just the turkey dinner that we had. <laughs> that we had, like, four total times. Yeah. It yeah. was so good. It was worth it. Anyway. <laughs> so good. <though. laughs> Woo. Okay, we're going to get it together. It's going to be fine. <laughs> Introduce Emily Denny. I don't know where to start, though. Anything like Do you forget that when somebody asks you, like, at a bar or something, like, what's your story? Yeah. Like, what the heck kind of question is that? I know, but, girl, you should have been prepared. You listen to the show. That's true. I should have been prepared. I have um, no shame. <laughs> technically, technically, I'm a higher education professional. Mm-hmm. That's like that's what it says on my my LinkedIn mm-hmm. profile. But it tells my, who you really are. In my spare time, I'm a podcaster, and I guess I'm a playwright now. I used to just use the umbrella term writer, but then I made my professional playwriting debut, and I was like, I guess that's the title now mm-hmm. because that's the writing that was successful. Mm-hmm. So that was my most recent conquest with making a professional playwriting debut. And, Maryland Ensemble Theater. I was part of their, I don't know what to call it. It was a developmental reading series and workshop series where they mm-hmm. picked three plays and like a bunch of bunch, submission. Yeah. And then they kind of workshop the pieces and they set them up with a cast and a director. Mm-hmm. And it was a developmental period, so there was a reading. And then I get to go back and work with the cast and the director mm-hmm. and the dramaturg and make a lot of changes mm-hmm. to get to the final product, which was the final reading. Mm-hmm. And so that was wild and cool and it's one of those things that I never thought would happen. Really? Like, I did this play at Clark. Mm-hmm. It was right after I graduated. They have this like new play. You were familiar with new play. Yes, yes, I was in it many, many a time. <laughs> Weren't we all? I wasn't. That's but. it. So, uh, well, you were in the theater sphere. I was in the theater sphere, but I was never in a play. Play, yeah. I was in one play my senior year. I auditioned. For pretty much every play you were allowed to audition for. Really? Pretty much, yeah. Really? And I was never cast, except the last play I auditioned for, I had like an ensemble role, and it was the happiest <laughs> I've ever been. I was like, because people were asking me, like, what role do you want? I was like, anything, anything. Just give me <laughs> anything I know at all. I want to leave here making a statement. <laughs> and then I was in it, and the director was like, so you've never been in a play, Carmen? I'm like, nope. 
That's, that really surprises me. I got a lot of, you know how if you, you've been to auditions, like sometimes yeah. you audition and you don't get it and you get one of those like from like a direct, the director or the statement, like you're really talented. Oh my and gosh, I hate those. it's just the worst. Yes. I'm just like, because at first it's really comforting. Like the yeah. first time you don't get the role, you're like, okay, like, you know, it's not me. It's this like, you yeah. know, it's because you can't cast everybody. Then like the 10th time it happens, you're like, all right, somebody's lying to me. <laughs> Well, it's true. I mean, I think the only way to kind of combat that is if somebody is like, you're really talented, I want you to still be involved somehow, like, let me figure out. Yeah. So, like, because right. that happened to me freshman year. So freshman year, I auditioned for Spring Awakening, mm-hmm. and um, I got a call back, and I didn't get in, but right. I don't know if you've ever met Josh. You probably heard a bunch of people talk about him. I've heard of Josh. Yes. Okay. You've, okay. He was our director that year, and... Um, he did the thing. He was like, you're really talented. Like, I really want you to be part of this. So Mm -hmm. like he found ways for me to like, even though I was like backstage and like doing a lot of just helping with like people and their roles and stuff. Like he found a way to get you involved. Yeah. And I think that is more like what you should do versus being like, I think you're really talented. But It's also just not helpful as a, as a performer Mm -hmm. to like, because I think the payoff of being talented is getting cast. Yes. And as much as that's not supposed to be the payoff, it is. It is, because that's what you're working towards. You're working towards right. your and profession. If that's <laughs> going to be your profession in the future, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're talented mm-hmm. if nobody casts you. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. That's the whole point, because you won't have those credits. Like, you couldn't go into right. auditioning for anything else, because, like, Okay, for those of you that don't know about the theater world, even college performance theater is like still a big deal once you when you're first starting to go out to look for you other get the Yeah, you still you can technically still have credits on your thing. So like if you want to go back out and do that, you it's gonna be hard because you got the one ensemble. Right. It's hard. You can't write a direct a casting director said you're really talented on a resume. Yes. It's just Exactly. Nobody cares. And the writing world is always like that, too. I mean, you get you're mm-hmm. really, you get a lot of emails that, you know, you get a lot of form emails that say, mm-hmm. you know, we loved all of the submissions this year. Mm-hmm. And, but I think you get a lot more of, like, especially because, you know, I do a lot of, like, you know, emailing editors yes. that I've submitted to and yes. being like, hey, like, what's up? Just want to thank you for your time. And yeah. So you get a lot of, like, your enthusiasm I like this about the piece mm-hmm. and I need to be yeah. published I don't, I, mean, I don't care that you think I'm talented I think I don't know I mean correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not I was never on like I've never been on the writer side mm-hmm. um even though I did take that excellent playwriting class <laughs> uh, but, listen I need one I gotta get my my theater minor I feel like it's more not more likely isn't the word like I don't know I can't think of anything else besides more likely to get not get your work published because like I feel like a lot of things are kind of like okay what's gonna sell basically yeah you know what I mean because I feel like you can write a really good piece and we're all like yes this is like a really good piece but they're like this is not what's gonna like be the clickbait or like what because like yeah so Corey Way, who was um, on a previous episode, she is also a writer, and she was talking about a time when, um, I don't know if this made it into the show, but she was talking about a time that she was going to get published. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like, they sent her back the revisions, and it was like they had changed right. certain, like, way too much to totally miss the meaning, and she was right. like, you have to pull this. Yeah. And so it's like, her story was clickbaity, but, like, not enough. Yeah. And so I don't know if you've... If, if you think it's, like, my writing sucks or you feel like it's, like, I'm not clickbaity. I think there's so much self-doubt 
mm-hmm. already being a writer because the whole process of writing something is nothing but self-doubt. It's yeah. nothing but the thought of, this isn't good, this is terrible, I'm not good at this. And I I work with um, I work with students at my current job, and I one of them was telling me that that's one of the things that always holds her back. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's a sign that you're a pretty good writer already. Mm-hmm. If all you think when you're working is that it's not good enough, it's mm-hmm. a sign that you're doing something right because you have the instinct to know that you can always do better. Mm-hmm. But you can't get hung up on that. But when you're trying to get stuff published, I mean, there's so many places to send your work. Mm-hmm. And there's so many places that will publish your work. And you know in the back of your head, you're like, I'm not right for Certain, every single yeah. one of these. And you know sometimes you're just not right for it. And mm-hmm. that's really a really strong likelihood that they're like, this is fine, but... It's not right for us. It's not on our theme. It's not on our brand. It's not what we usually publish. And so in those instances, I always prefer, as a writer, I prefer feedback. If you're going to tell me that I'm not right for you or it's not what you're looking for, I don't want to hear, like, you know, it was really, really good because that's just not helpful to me. (laughs) I was like, I would love to know what I I could do differently Mm -hmm. or what would have made it right for you or if there was just no way, like... It's like, no, we publish science fiction. Like, this is a comedy. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, why can't science fiction be funny? Exactly. I think a lot of science fiction that I've seen is very humorous. Exactly. Maybe not intentionally so. I'm more laughing at it, if you will. But like, I, but I feel like we can make it work. Yeah. So are you teaching writing? No. Um, at my job... My job is weird. I basically do what anybody tells me to do. But yeah, because um, you work with someone I know. Oh, yes. yes yeah. I work with uh, Emma. Yeah, who's yeah. delightful. <laughs> Emma is delightful. Um, uh, no, I work in... Um, my job is in... I shudder to even say what my job title is because it's not going to... When I mention what I do, it's mm-hmm. not going to sound like what my job title says. Nothing do. ever does. Uh, I do it all. <laughs> um, we have, for our website, we have student yeah. contributors and I work with the students who contribute to our website, so, like, mm-hmm. I edit their work kind of... Um, this is not in the actual description, but I try to, like, help them develop a little bit as mm-hmm. a writer and help make their work better, even if it just means less work for me down the line, that their pieces yeah. just come to me yeah. in a better state the first time. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of working with the, the kids to help them out with their writing, because they're doing, like, content writing for a website, mm-hmm. so, like, that clickbaity kind of fun yeah. stuff that, you know, about, like, how much does an intern spend in a week? Five things to do in DC. Very buzzfeedy kind of. Kind of buzzfeedy. We're going that direction. Okay. You know. Well, no. Okay. So that's the other thing, which you, I can't believe you didn't mention. You started the the satirical <laughs> online like newspaper at Park. Yeah. What a, what a weird legacy. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. It was great. It was so yeah. honestly, I people read that more than our actual. I think so too. Which what was our the Scarlet. Oh, that's right. The Scarlet. I should know. Like, I knew people that wrote all that. Anyway, it's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yours is called the Freudian Slip. The Freudian Slip, yeah. And it's because, so Clark, uh, Clark University, where we went, um, our unofficial mascot is Freud because we're a school known for psychology. And yes, we know that, like, Freud has been disproven. Yeah, we're aware. Yes, we're well aware. But, like, it's it's a big deal for us. Like, we have a statue with him. It's, like, a whole big thing. Honestly, just look up Clark University in Massachusetts and, and you'll see. But, um, but naming it the Freudian Slip makes a lot of sense if you know us. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and it's still going strong. It is, yeah. It, it was it, probably the most satisfying thing about leaving college was that I 
left behind this thing mm -hmm. and it worked out and like I love that things continue without me <laughs> I love that because I think when you're in college you do feel like it's yours mm -hmm. like it belongs to you when you're in school and then when you leave it's like oh like it just goes on yeah yeah like it just moves on without you and it's weirdly very comforting I wasn't supposed to be in charge of the Freudian slip though it was a friend asked basically texted me and was like, hey, like, I got this cool idea for a mm -hmm. satire newspaper. I'm pulling together a bunch of people I know that are funny and like to write. And I was like, cool, super down. Mm. Thought it'd be like a chill thing. That's I how you always think it is. I showed up to this meeting and we were talking about it. I was like, yeah, this is going to be really cool. And when we were getting closer to like, you know, making it happen, mm -hmm. it was like, all right, well, we're going to need an editorial board. So we're going to need to assign things like that. Positions. And, it, and it was, who's going to be the editor in chief? And I was like, well, obviously it's going to be Annie, whose idea mm -hmm. it was, and she was like, well, we need somebody that's, like, really, really, really good at writing, and mm -hmm. is, like, get their shit together, and, and then, and, like, everyone <laughs> just kind of looked at me, and was like, well, Emily's an English major, <laughs> she'll do just fine, and then all of a sudden, I was the editor-in-chief, and then slowly but surely, almost everybody from that initial group of people left <laughs> to do other stuff, and then all of a sudden it was like just me. It sounds like Clark, then. And, two, and like two other people. Mm -hmm. But then we found all of these other people, like that I never would have interacted yeah. with had that not happened. And now it, now it still exists, and they still do stuff. And I feel like we were just like the dumbest thing on campus. It was and so delightful. It. it was so great, though. No, but it's great because it, it's like we had our own version of the Onion. Yeah. And it because sometimes you know it referenced stuff like at school. Yeah. And I think because we are so like our universe is so like insular, it's just like yeah. it's very funny for us because we're like right. we know all of this happens yeah. all the time and and so I think that like just shows to your like creative side. So yeah. like you didn't do fifth year. And so, which is like a graduate program that mm -hmm. we offer. I'm saying things like people know things, and I'm like, <laughs> I have to explain. Um, but, so you just moved straight down here. I didn't move straight no, down here. No, you didn't move straight down here. No, I was, I was woefully unemployed for six months. <laughs> oh, that's true. When, yeah. when did I grab? See, at time is a blur. Um, and yeah. I just assumed that it was yeah. right after. Because <laughs> I, I was like, she's only one year younger. Yeah. And I'm only, and I was like, okay, of course. Yeah, out. I was hella unemployed. Mm -hmm. I was technically a freelance writer, but like, we all know that that's, that's just like a fancy unemployed. word for I'm unemployed. <laughs> but sometimes people like let me do projects for yeah. them, which happened few and far between. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I graduated college and, you know, it was, it was a weird time, I think, because like, I don't think anybody talks about like those couple months after you yeah. graduate. Because by the, when it works out, everything's fine. Yeah. Like, because that's what you hear when you're struggling after school. They're like, it's going to work out eventually, and then everything will be fine. And mm -hmm. it'll be like that period of your life never happened. Yeah. And it is like that. But then I look back, and I'm like, I was so miserable. Because when you're in college, you know, you get, like, your list of how to do it right mm -hmm. when you graduate. It's like you're going to do some internships, and you're going to have extracurriculars, you have responsibilities. Yeah. You're going to do well in class. You're going to write an honors thesis. <laughs> You're going to do all you're this gonna stuff. You're going to write an season. <laughs> it's like you're going to do everything right, yeah. and then it'll work out. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. I did everything everyone told me to do. Mm -hmm. I did everything I was supposed to do. And then, like, nothing. <laughs> you know, I was just applying and applying and applying and applying and just nothing and nothing and nothing and nothing. And I was so miserable because that's I was an overachiever. Mm -hmm. I was such an overachiever in college. And then it was like, 
nobody cares. <laughs> Like, nobody cares that you did all this stuff. Nobody cares you did an internship. And yeah. It's really just hardening. And it's very hard because I feel like I did so much in undergrad. Yeah. And, like, to receive, like, high caliber. Like, in the sense of, like, she's, like, prepared. She's this. She's yeah. that. And then it's, like, after college, like, not having a full-time job. And being mm-hmm. like, then I'm so prepared. Like, I'm really smart, I think. Yeah. And... And still, like, and still to this day, like, even though, like, I'm in grad school now, still don't have a full-time job. Like, I'm working, but it's not a full-time, like, I consult, and I work part-time doing policy quote work. You see me making air quotes. But, like, it's not full-time. It's not necessarily, like, in my field. And and I think that's, like, really hard. I feel like it's not the stuff that anyone talks about. And Mm -hmm. be like, your path is going to be different than some others. And it's, like... How do you discern between, like, the path? I don't know. I don't I think it's, like, how do you discern your path? And right. so, like, were you looking to move to D.C.? No. This, uh, I applied to one job in D.C. and I got it and I moved. <laughs> <laughs> I was, because I was, I was applying to jobs in New York. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm from New Jersey. That's where my parents live. Yeah. So I was living with my parents. So I was applying to jobs in New York because it would mean I didn't have to move immediately. Mm-hmm. I could keep living with them, commute in New York, yeah. and then make the transition really slowly Mm -hmm. it would be really low-key and I was applying to jobs in New York and it was just like coming up short and it was it was getting to like October and my mom was like just try something different like you know try Mm -hmm. a different city I applied to two jobs that weren't in New York I got interviewed at one of them and I got hired at the other (laughs) I had one job in Boston and one job in DC Mm -hmm. and I got the job in DC in like two and a half weeks Mm -hmm. I applied I got a phone call that they wanted to interview me. I did an interview. Two days later, I did a second interview. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, can you start in, like, a week and a half? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and I was opening the play at Clark at the yeah. same time as this was happening. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm doing this thing. Like, can I start after that? Like, you need to start right after that. So I opened the play. The play closed mm-hmm. on Thursday. I saw another show in the New Play Festival series on Friday. Yeah. I went home on Saturday. I put everything in my car, and I was in I was in Virginia on Sunday. That sounds about right. And I had to call my cousin and be like, can I stay at your house for, like, the next foreseeable couple months until I figure <laughs> something out? So it was, like, all the way out in Sterling. It was, like, oh my, hour, oh my like gosh. an hour and a half long commute. But I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> can I just come sleep in your house oh, for a oh, little while? Sweet angel. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, then I, so I did that. But then it all worked out. I figured it out. But yeah. it was just such a weird, weird month of my life. Yes. That's like a very packed month. Oh, no. <laughs> and oh, it was no. like it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> no, that's so much. That's so, so much. much. That is so much. Yeah, because like I – so were you specifically always looking for like writer jobs or like are you really looking for like education jobs? It started with publishing and writing or yeah. something in the literary world. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of moved into, like, you know, oh, maybe I could work in PR, Mm -hmm. communications. And then um, I didn't think about working in higher education until, Mm -hmm. like, the really, really end of my job search. But I was like, well, I look at my resume, and I do have some higher ed. Yeah. I think I can swing this. (laughs) I was like, I I could fool someone into thinking I'm I'm qualified. Ain't that what we're all doing? Isn't that what you're doing? Because it's like, they're like, oh, internships, you know, it's a lot of really good experience. And it yeah. is. It really is. But it's like, a lot of your first jobs are just, just fooling people. 
Into thinking, oh, like, yes. into thinking you could pull it off. Continuously. I will be doing that to the day I die. <laughs> yeah, when people ask you, it's like, oh, do you know how to do this? I'm like, I can figure it out. I can figure it out. I've heard, who was I, oh my gosh, who did I hear say that? I was, oh my gosh, it's going to really bother me because I was listening to another podcast and they, <laughs> once again, all sorts of blew together. And um, it was, she was saying, she's like, I became a jack of all trades. I yeah. pretended that I could do everything, and then I just learned how to do it. I feel like, in a, in a way, that, like, a lot of jobs, like, forget that people can learn. I know. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And it's, like, they want you to have, like, all X, Y, and Z, but it's, like, I can learn these skills. I'm yeah. not performing heart surgery. Yeah. So if I know how to read and write, I feel like I'll be good. Yeah, I always, because when I'm thinking about, like, starting my first job, it was... I didn't know how to do a bunch of stuff that yeah. I'm now really proficient in. Like, I didn't know how to use, like, a mass email builder. Somebody taught me. I figured it out in two and a half days. And no, I was I like, it. now I'm an expert in this thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, now I can use it. And it's like, I didn't need that on my resume. And that's mm-hmm. what I kind of appreciated about starting at that job was that I was almost not qualified for that position. Mm-hmm. Like, I just kind of showed up and I was like, got a can-do attitude and I can read and write. <laughs> a sprightly can-do attitude. I was like, I'm young and spry and ready to go. And But was that, so I'm wondering, I don't know, I feel like we get into, as like, as young professionals, <laughs> um, picture me with like a whiskey in my hand and a pipe, uh, as young professionals, do you, and like, and as women, do you feel like there's this pressure to constantly be like, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, yeah. do you feel like it's negatively affected you so far, or? I am. It is within my personality to say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know how it's affected me in the workplace. I think in the workplace it hasn't presented as much of a problem. But mm-hmm. I think socially sometimes it's a problem, mm-hmm. you know. Especially, D.C. is an expensive city to live in. And it's it's hard when you, especially when you first move somewhere and you really want to make friends. And it's hard being like... I don't make enough money to go to happy hour with people. The thing is, none of us do. Right. (laughs) Don't let anybody fool you. None of us do. And in the workplace, it's not so much of a big deal. Mostly Mm -hmm. because I think I just don't get asked to do things like as often as it would become a problem Mm -hmm. to always be saying yes to things. But I do feel like as a, you know, I think I've always been taught not to say no to things. Mm-hmm. Not by anyone specifically, but I feel like that's how I grew up. Is mm-hmm. I've always been a person that will say yes to everything. And I did, in college definitely got me in trouble. Mm-hmm. That I very rarely walked away from things mm-hmm. and very rarely was like, no, that's too much for me right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't do that. And <clears throat> I think it's it's part of it's the world we live in. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's that a, it's a sign of weakness to say that, like, I don't have time for that. Or, like, I can't go out tonight because I don't know. I don't have a plan. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I just don't it, want to. It would be better people. for me if I went home and napped? ate some dinner and napped and watched a little Netflix and went to bed. <laughs> but I'm getting more comfortable doing that with yeah. my friends and being like, you know what? I haven't been home for, I haven't had a night to myself. Maybe I'll just do that. I I feel like living in Virginia has given me even more of an excuse. <laughs> because commuting it, like, Granted, I am five miles from the city, but it's like, I feel like people understand where it's like, oh, it's like, or if I just don't show up, 
I yeah. think there's like, oh, she looks like, you know. She was in Alexandria. Yeah, she's not, she's not coming in, yeah. um, which is fine with me. It gives me a little bit of that barrier, which is like why I know I wanted to live outside yeah. the city because like I need that, yeah. that time. And I feel like as I've gotten older, I have been able to say no more. I agree. Yeah. But it def- it's definitely hard because, like, I know you were involved. I know I was involved. Mm-hmm. Like, we just did. I mean, that's also, like, the nature of who a lot of students at Clark are. Oh, yeah. If we're not necessarily doing something on campus, we'll probably have, like, ten side hustles going off campus. So, right. like, I think it drove me crazy a little bit after I graduated to I not so have, too. like, yeah. anything to do because yeah. I felt very useless so bored all the time it was it wasn't even like for me it wasn't necessarily like bored it was just like a sense of uselessness Mm -hmm. because it was like I didn't have people asking me to do things I like wasn't going to like a job regularly or like and when I did get one it was like a retail job and it you know what I mean like it wasn't like what I loved it wasn't and so I just like but I realized also like when I was doing these bit jobs like when I was working retail and stuff I was so willing to be like yeah I can come in and work Mm-hmm. You need me to, like, yeah. many a 10-hour shift. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, things I definitely should not have done. Yeah. Or, like, stretching myself too thin or not saying no because, like, I wanted to feel useful even yeah. though it's not something I'm, like, passionate about. Yeah. And I don't know. And none of those things were, like, leading to my passion. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I told I told people, like, while I was unemployed, I, I, told people, I was, like, my mom's, like, housewife. Like, whatever my mom needed me to do, <laughs> I would do it. <laughs> and it's like you need me to go to the grocery store for you like you need me to take the dog to the vet I'll do it because mm-hmm. I just you, you're right you just need like a, a reason to be doing things and you need projects to work on and, mm-hmm. but it's because <clears throat> as a like as a writer I think you somebody I saw a tweet about this that I thought was hilarious was if you're a writer you've basically decided to have homework for the rest of your life true true <clears throat> and but when you don't have, like, you know, when you're working on stuff, it's very hard to, like, make that your job because mm-hmm. it's not going anywhere and it's not, yeah. you're not getting the reward you're supposed to be getting. Mm-hmm. You're just doing it for you, which is fine. But when you have nothing else going on, mm-hmm. it can get really grating where it's like, who is this really for, though? You just kind of feel like mm-hmm. you're talking to yourself. Because <laughs> you are. <laughs> you kind of are. And it's... you're not sharing it with anybody and nobody else is seeing it. Mm-hmm. Your mom loves you, but it's. She can only say it's great, honey, so many times. Like, and I don't show my stuff to my parents. Really. I'm like, I love that. Like, they don't need to like. They don't need to know about that. Yeah, they all came to the the play, and it was mm-hmm. like they brought a bunch of my family. And it was the first time a lot of my family had seen my art mm-hmm. and like met, you know, niece, granddaughter, the mm-hmm. writer. Because mm-hmm. I was like, this is a person they've never met before. Mm-hmm. I was like, they don't know Emily as a writer, like. And that was like something I didn't think about because when my mom was like. Well, your aunt's gonna come and like your dad's cousin is gonna come and your grandparents are gonna come and your grandma's gonna mm-hmm. come grandma's friend is gonna come and I was like none of these people know that part of me and yeah. none of them know what I write and none of them and I was like oh my like are they gonna be like because <laughs> I was like you know I write I'm 23 and I like to write people that swear and like <laughs> sex <laughs> Because I was thinking about the play, I was like, there's, like, they talk about sex, and they swear, and I'm like... <laughs> it's a, it's hard to let people see your art, because, like, did you see, because it would have been your freshman year, that did you see me play fest? Yes. Okay, so I was in... Lana Grisefrance. Yes, I... I, 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 I well. 
Um, that play was intense. That play was very intense, and especially to like star in that. Play, I feel like I'm revealing like a whole other side of me that listeners have never right. heard my theater side because <laughs> I'm a theater geek. Right. Um, yeah, I remember like I told my dad he couldn't come, and I told my sister that she couldn't come. So mm-hmm. my mom and my godmother were the only ones to come. Because I was like, I cannot let my father see this. And this is definitely not appropriate for my sister. Because we're eight years apart. So, yeah, like, yeah. what was I? Like, 19. So, she was, like, super young. Yeah. And to see that type mm-hmm. of... Mm-mm, it was mm-hmm. very, very heavy. No, no. I had exactly the same about Everything in that play was heavy. And, like, my mom, she was like, you were good. But, like, the play was super hard for her because she's yeah. like... What are you doing? <laughs> like, I imagine it's a whole other thing, especially because you're performing it. You know? Yes, it was. Like, it's just so intense. And I, I mean, I've been doing plays since you know elementary school, but it was like to see me in something like that. I guess like because anything you do like in your public school setting is right. not going to be. Yeah, it's, too it's wild. all going to be school appropriate. Yeah, it's all going to be super school appropriate. It's like we're in college now. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean. I think also that is probably, like, one of the raciest things I've ever... I can't even say I've seen because I was in it, but, like, that's ever been done at Clark. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ever. The only thing I can think of is that that wild play that Ray did where they ripped (laughs) Bibles. And I was like, I can't be about this. When you rip Bibles, then I I feel like lightning was going to strike us. (laughs) Like, it was too much. It was too much. A lot was going on. There was, like, a giant head. I don't know. Anyway. It was such a test of, like, me as, like, an actress and yeah. to to pull off something like that because people really liked it. But it's, like, to show that side and, like, vulnerability is, like, super mm-hmm. hard because you're, like, oh, my family. Yeah. And then I had that same feeling senior year when I directed mm-hmm. a play because it was, like, okay, now you're going to, like, I'm not in this, but this is, like, my vision. Yeah. What was, like, in it's my head. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, like, the same, and I mean, like, my whole family was there because it was a lot more appropriate, mm-hmm. even though, you know, murder mystery. Yeah. Um, but it was like a whole nother experience again. Yeah. Has your family ever seen like comedy, Emily? Because um, comedic Emily is also my parents. Delightful. My parents came to an improv show. Because mm-hmm. um, Emily was also on an improv team. Was, she's yes. very funny. Yeah, my parents came to an improv show. So they saw, like, I think that's it. I mean, I think I was always, I've always been more comfortable with them seeing, at least improv Emily mm-hmm. is very clean. <laughs> I prefer, I prefer clean comedy. That's mm-hmm. the comedy I've always done. And I think they're, like, stand-up Emily was, like, a whole other thing because it was, like, they are so much of my material, my family. <laughs> and not necessarily even in a bad way. Oh, yeah. No. I mean, like, they're just funny people because they're just old white people. <laughs> They're middle-aged white people. They're hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> What's funnier than like white people? Because <laughs> like they're like cute little Jewish right. parents. I yeah. love it. Like it's just something I don't need. They always talk. They always joke about it like that. Mm-hmm. And I love this that they're like, oh, we're gonna be. This is gonna be an Emily next play. I was like, that's not how it works. <laughs> but or is? I was it? like, the plays are fiction. <laughs> So, but you draw it from, like, I'm assuming it's because, like, you draw it from, like, real life, like, yeah. real life experiences. and I think I've always, like, because there's that, like, phrase, like, write what you know, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of a misnomer. I think people always hear write what you know, and they think it means write, like, literally what's happened yeah. to you, like, things you've experienced. And I don't think of it that way. Mm-hmm. I think of it right the way you know how to and write the 
feelings you know about, mm-hmm. right? Feelings you've experienced in her life. And it was some teacher I had, I can't remember who, but she said, like, try writing what you're afraid of and mm-hmm. writing the things you're afraid of. Because I remember, like, in the play that I just premiered, there's a character of a mother who doesn't get along with her daughter and doesn't mm-hmm. approve of her. And people were always like, do you have a bad relationship with your mom? I was like, no, me and my mom are really, really, really close. Mm-hmm. And that terrifies me to not be close mm-hmm. to my mom and for my mom and I to not get along and not see eye to eye about things. And I'm like, that's something I'm afraid of. And I know mm-hmm. I'm afraid of that. And like, when you write it, it's like, you get it out of you. You're like, yeah. you're like that's something I'm afraid of. And now other people can see it. And you yeah. find that other people resonate with that. Yeah. And that's like... I think that's such a satisfying thing where it's mm-hmm. like, this is the thing I'm afraid of, and this is real for other people, mm-hmm. but they recognize it. They're like, your fear is real, it's valid, it's possible, mm-hmm. you know, it's totally okay that you're afraid of that. Like, you should be afraid of that. And I think that's what I love about playwriting specifically, mm-hmm. because it's such a shared experience. Mm-hmm. And among, not just among the people that see it, but among the people that work on it, the people that put it together and... Mm-hmm. I didn't know how much I liked playwriting until I did this developmental series where I was working with actors I had never met, a director that Mm -hmm. I had never met. I was like, this is such a wonderful shared experience Mm -hmm. and that we're all giving each other something. Mm -hmm. Because I was talking to one of the actresses after the show and I was like, yeah, thank you so much for being in the show. She's like, well, thank you so much for giving it to us. It's like, we have given each other something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you can't really say that about a lot of other professions and professions that like we have all given each other something. And we all got something out of this, and I think all of it was equal. We all had an equal part in this, and we all won something. I think that's true for, like, this theater performance type of space, because when you, like, are in a play, you're bringing, like, a playwright's vision to life. Mm -hmm. Um, You're taking the words off of the paper, and then what you're performing is the vision of the director. Yeah. And then you're giving the audience this experience, whether it's, yeah. like, good, bad, somewhere in between. Like, you're giving them this type of experience. And, like, what I truly love, because, like, you are so much yourself mm-hmm. in in what, even if you're, like, acting. Because, like, I, I think about, like, when I'm acting, like, no one's going to act it like I'm going to. Not yeah. being, like, oh, I'm better than some, But it's, like, no, no one can do it, do it this speci- yeah. just like no one can be me. So it's, like sharing that part of you mm-hmm. with like an audience and even in like comedy and like doing improv yeah. you guys you know feed off of yeah who you know how the audience is responding to yeah. that and and that's something that's like really important I think especially in improv yeah because yeah. you don't practice that much I mean you can practice the games just kind of get through like the right. cycle or whatever but you don't lines or like you're not doing the same routine every night and and to remember I guess kind of like because I think you guys did this a lot where you would call back to something that was done Mm -hmm. in a different scene and you know the audience like loved it but to remember that in a completely different game is just a level yeah that I don't know I love when people ask like as an improviser they're like Mm -hmm. you must script it I was like it's easier than you would think and I think when you spent enough time together because you do have to practice I think I equate it to like it's a muscle like you just have to keep working at it or else it goes away but I think people would be surprised by how naturally it can Mm -hmm. happen and how naturally you make scenes when you just listen to each other and you just Mm -hmm. go with the flow and you just like follow the funny thing that's happening Mm -hmm. and like people I think it's so surprising to me how 
easy it is. <laughs> like, because you do have to be, like, comfortable with one another. Because I, yeah. like, if you're taking any part in theater, if you're majoring, minoring, whatever, you have to take, you know, creative actor. And mm-hmm. so I took that. And our class vibed super well together. Yeah. And so, but, you know, when you go to other performances, you can tell the cl- classes when that don't vibe. Yeah, that don't vibe. Because, like, <laughs> like, we, so we do this final performance. And, yeah. it's, and, um, and it's basically, it's all improv. Yeah. And so, to even if you're not quote unquote like a comedic comedic person who haven't done acting, yeah. like it's still a lot easier if you like vibe with the people because there was a mm-hmm. lot of people in that class that yeah. you know weren't comedians or had any ever done the acting, but we all vibed together on yeah. stage and it was super fun. And for me, it was like a different muscle to like stretch because like I'm not used to doing improv. Like right. I'm used to having like a script or like a song I have to sing and mm-hmm. just kind of like going about my life. So that to me and like seeing you being able to do that has always been like really lovely mm-hmm. and to like see you bring that yeah. kind of joy because it brings so much joy and I like loved yeah. seeing you perform because you guys were all so quirky yeah. and you had like a right balance and I think there was so much give and take in a way that was so complimentary to one another. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like to strike that kind of balance is very difficult. Yeah. Do you still try to improv? I do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I improv. I've been. I'm in the course curriculum at Washington Improv Theater, um, which what? is really fun. I'm gonna be in a, doing their. They have a show called Improv with Palooza, which is mm-hmm. like experimental improv. So I'm what doing. What does that mean? It means I think it's just like formats that don't actually exist. So like make up a format and then do the improv um mm. so i signed up for i'm doing a performance with like a bunch of um it was one of my former teachers at wit mm-hmm. she just kind of like emailed all of her former students mm-hmm. and was like who's in and then 12 of us showed up and <laughs> so i don't know what the format is actually going to be mm-hmm. but i'm showing up at 7:48 p.m <laughs> next wednesday that's when our set is i'll be there at like 7 30 okay i was that's like here's, go on. here's the thing that's too much <laughs> i'm gonna show up and I'm going to do the format. It's mm-hmm. going to be fun. But doing improv not in college has been kind of weird, I think, because it's, mm-hmm. like, the culture of how adults do improv is so different than how I did mm-hmm. it in college. Because in college, it was, like, I had this crew. They were mm-hmm. my family. I yeah. practiced with them six hours a week. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a performance every month. It was slated. We had a – we were blessed with a fan base. <laughs> and I was 100% part of fan base. But as an adult, it's not like that at all. Yeah. A lot of people – play for more than one team most teams only mm-hmm. practice like maybe once a week maybe only for a couple of hours a week and you know they're not like um I know people who are really really close with their teammates but it's not like you know those are your people like you form a really yeah. really strong bond like I mean you're around each other all right the time. I probably have kissed every single member of shenanigans <laughs> <in some laughs> which was her improv team shenanigans yes I've probably kissed almost every single one of them in some way, shape, or form on stage. Like, this is very true. <laughs> like, if you watch any of our videos on YouTube, like you'll see it. Like, it happens all the time. It's delightful. Because we were all really, really close with each other, and just to find that it's kind of not like that mm-hmm. as an adult was a little bit weird, but you know, I'm getting used to it. I have a lot of friends that I've known mm-hmm. from improv, and there's a great community for it in mm-hmm. D.C., which was really fun yeah, and no, surprising. I, found a way to express that not even yeah. being in school yeah. still because I feel it's it's really it's really hard like I don't know in my mind I was like I can be an adult and like I can still like 
act on the side or like do some comedy yeah. thing or like do some singing. And you're like, oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's very hard to find. You have to find it like word of mouth, like find yeah. a phone of friends. Yeah. Um, it's hard to make friends as an adult. It is hard to make friends as an adult. It's very hard. It's hard. Because then I have to like see you and talk to you. <laughs> so, I feel like I feel like making friends as an adult is just like constantly texting and being like, we should meet up after work, or like, we should go get dinner, and then not doing it. Because we're exhausted. Because it's like, what if I went home instead? That's me every day. Every single day. I was like, I could go home. Like, I'm in a I'm in many good friendships with my phone. Like, you know what I mean? Because it's like, I will have full-blown conversations with you, but from the comfort of my bed. Yeah. So it's hard. Um, But yeah, I think, I still think it's really awesome that, like, you're learning to carve out your space. And I'm, so I'm kind of wondering, like, coming from Clark, like, we were, quote-unquote, very inclusive kind of space, and people Mm -hmm. just kind of did what they want. The idea of, like, women not, you know, getting what they want was not a thing so I'm like wondering have you found like the opposite you know have you is has it been harder to like claim your stake kind mm-hmm. of yeah versus like in undergrad it was like you just kind of walked in and it's like I'm here for this thing you're like cool great let's do this thing you know yeah yeah I think um especially on like the like Clark was so inclusive and diverse like that everyone says that it's like you live in this liberal bubble but then you're gonna get into the real world yeah it's not gonna be like that it was like people in the real world are pretty you know, mm-hmm. inclusive and nice and much kinder than I think uh, right-wingers on Twitter have been telling me that they would be. They're like, the world is cruel. It's like, it's not really as cruel as I think everyone wants to think it is. Mm-hmm. And I think certain spaces, I'm sure, are cruel oh, than yeah. others. I'm sure I would be, I would be torn, a, torn apart if I went to a networking event. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I go to an improv practice, you know, mm-hmm. it's really chill vibes. I think it's that the real world is um, further behind than mm-hmm. I would like it to be, and that the way to get the world up to speed is not as easy as it seems like it is. Like, mm-hmm. I give this example all the time. The AP style guide does not mm-hmm. allow gender, um, the singular they, mm-hmm. which I think is a more inclusive way to speak, and it's mm-hmm. cleaner than he or she, which mm-hmm. is very stuffy and dry, mm-hmm. but, you know, my office, we use AP style. That's what we follow, and it's difficult because it's like, we can't just not do that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, why can't we just not do that? Mm-hmm. If it's cleaner and better and makes somebody feel more at home. And, you know, and it's little things where I'm like, oh, our application, you know, doesn't allow a third option for the gender thing. And it's like, oh, so we're going to have to go to IT and then they're going to have to fix it. And this person's going to have to do it. And I think I have a really great inclusive office where those ideas mm-hmm. are really heard. But it seems like... They seem like such easy solutions when you're mm-hmm. in college. Like, it's like, well, why don't we just fix that? Yeah. And it's like, oh, because, like, it's really hard to fix mm-hmm. that one little thing and that's going to make somebody mm-hmm. feel so much more at home and yeah. feel a little bit better. Looking back now on, like, the like on experience, like, in undergrad versus, like, being out of school and just, like, working, and then coming to grad school after a while. I don't know. I feel like we took, we didn't take advantage of how much, like, freedom we had, like, at our undergraduate university because, don't even like, Clark had issues. Yeah. Still does. Like, they're, you know, but I think, not that we weren't too harsh, because, like, I think you should still always be harsh in the systems which in 
within, within what you're in. Don't be like, well, other people have it worse. But it's like we should so try to change where we are. Yeah. But I think I underestimated how much of we had of a free, of a free voice mm-hmm. because so many things at our school was so student run. Yeah. And we were just kind of like, well, we're going to do this thing. And, like, students weren't afraid to, like, not go to class. Like, that wasn't... Yeah. There was never this, I don't know, this idea of, like, repercussions. That was never fully a fear I felt among students. Like, none of us... Not none of us. I don't want to speak for everybody. But I felt like a lot of people just didn't have fear of, like, any repercussions for any type of thing they did and any type of change that we wanted to make. Students just kind of worked their way to make it and not saying every change got pushed through, but like now being within a quote unquote system, yeah, I'm not yeah. able to do that. Like they're like, we got to go to IT and you're like, in your mind, you're like, this is so simple. We can just change it. Even though like school was a system, yeah. we had more control and like we realized how little we control we have. Mm-hmm. And I feeling it. like so much, you feel like you're so much more radical when you're in college. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go to class. I'm going to go to this protest. Yeah. And I'm an adult and I think of it the same way that it's like, there's a protest on Wednesday at one o'clock, but yeah. I have to be at my job. And I'm yeah. just like, it is so much different for me to just not show up at my job than yeah. for me to not show up at class. And it's yes. like, I don't know how it will fly if I just don't show up to work that day or if I take a sick day to go protest or yeah. like, you know, I got to make money. Like, I can't just not show up. Like, my rent is expensive. And it's like, Girl. I think it's, you know, I feel like college sometimes is the illusion that there's consequences when yes. there almost actually aren't. And I'm sure yes. consequences are different for people. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like, I'm a white person. My consequences have always been mm-hmm. a little bit different. And yes. You know, a little, and definitely subdued compared to a lot of other people but I think the consequences when you're an adult are so much more real yes like not going to work is you know losing a sick day or a vacation Mm -hmm. day that you could be using to you know go get your car fixed or like have to go to the eye doctor Mm -hmm. or you know all of those stuff you have to do when you're in a 20 20 years old and in college you're like why don't adults just like go out and protest and then you get to be like oh that's why because it's it's hard it's really hard because like you have protesting or like working with this organization or that is not your full-time job it's It's really it's really hard and I think like for me like I find I try to find other ways Mm -hmm. that you can support it whether it's like Supporting a friend who's, like, working through that and supporting them through whatever they need or, like, donating money or, like, donating your time on a weekend, like, for a couple hours. So just being productive in other ways because I feel like – I don't know. I feel like – I don't know if you have experience, but I feel like as a woman, like, there's so many things I'm not cool with that's going on. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, I want to be out there. I want to be – but it's, like, i got bills. (laughs) like Mm -hmm. So I have to, like, go to work. And I can't, like, you know – stay up to date with everything that's going on all the time and in I feel like but it's like if I'm not making my voice heard like it takes you know five of us to say one thing in unison versus like one white guy to say one thing to get his you know what I mean it's like so if I'm not there it's hard and so I don't know if you've felt this like weird balance of pressure yeah and it's like you've always heard that it's like well you know if you were actually radically actually cared about this thing you wouldn't mind missing work and I was like but who they're like if you miss work that's like you rebelling against this I'm like who is actually like losing when I don't go to work I was like because it's really not my job it's me if I just stop showing up to work they'll just fire me 
I'll just find somebody new to take my position. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm not hurting them by not showing mm -hmm. up to work. You know, I'm not, I'm only hurting myself. I am only making it harder for me to pay my rent and to live my life. And it's, it feels like a narrative that's been invented by people that can afford to do those things, mm -hmm. can afford to just not show up to work and can afford to be at a level where they're mm -hmm. not immediately replaceable. Yeah. You know, it's like, I want to think that, you know, people I liked at my place of business and I'm mm -hmm. good at what I do and they like that I do what I do, but if I didn't show up for two weeks to go, you know, do something wild, I mean... They would have to let me go, and which is which is fair because like they are a business. They're just, a business. Yeah, just as you would be like pissed if they didn't pay you right for three weeks, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, um, they can't be like, oh, sorry, like we were going through some stuff. You'd be like, that no, I'm <laughs> I'm going through some stuff too. I'm going through this checking account real fast. <laughs> like, like, yeah, that's how that would be. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It's like a hard balance of how I guess I I guess that's what I'm trying to say it's like I you want to be supportive but like yeah. how do you and I I feel it less being in DC I do too yeah which is crazy because I know, right we're the protest capital yeah. <laughs> so it's like all the big like all the major yeah. marches protests whatever are gonna be happening here but it's but at versus like at school I felt like this pressure of like if you're not there you're not down and it's like mm, maybe like I have work like maybe yeah. You know what I mean? And it's it's hard, I think, this blanket statement of, like, you have to show up. Right. And it's like, if you if you really care, you'll show up. And you're not allowed to be upset about it if you don't yes. show up. And it's not allowed to bother you yes. if you don't show up. But it's like, but that doesn't make sense. Because there could be, like, I don't like a lot of crowded things sometimes. And people are, are going to be angry there. It's going to be, like, I can get very anxious, like, in that setting, you know? You don't know. Like, someone could be totally down with those issues. But, like... Maybe they have social anxiety. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I felt that way about the March for Life. I was like, I'm really claustrophobic and I don't like crowds and they make me really, really nervous. And I was like, why should I go stand? At, you know, I went kind of, I went down to see the crowd, but mm -hmm. I was like, why should I stay here if I am feeling like panicky and Because it's not. Like, yeah. I was like, nobody is benefiting from me being here. Like, I was like, I am not making any sacrifice to anyone yeah. but myself. <laughs> and it's, like, it's not to say, like, people should be going out to marching. People should be protesting. Right. Like, but there's many ways. I think there's just, like, there are many ways to stand for what you yeah. believe in. And right. I think, for me, a lot of that, because, like, I can do my, I can, like, donate my time. Mm -hmm. I don't have finances. No. <laughs> so I can't donate that. And I can, I don't know, like, for me, like, this, I've said it before, but, like, this podcast is a way for me to, like, pushback because totally. like I'm highlighting the voices of women from all different backgrounds those mm -hmm. just starting their careers those who are like far into their careers yeah. those are voices that don't get heard mm -hmm. those are voices that they don't no one is asking them about their story because so many women I talk to are like I don't think I'm that interesting like mm -hmm. what do you want me to talk about I was like are you kidding me the fact that you are existing yeah any day that you wake up and mm -hmm. don't sue half the country <laughs> is a day that everybody should be grateful for tell me how you did it like yeah. that is so incredible and I think so like for me this is like a way of pushing back and yeah. like I don't know I think we need to I think a little little by little in our everyday lives is what we need to like our whole manifestation should turn into a protest or like a standing for what we think is right yeah. 
And when that happens, I think, which I think is happening more, like people are just making conscious efforts in their daily lives to not support certain things mm-hmm. versus like marches for everything or like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like this, these kinds of like, I'm not going to shop at that store anymore. I'm not going to buy those products anymore. Yeah. Like, I'm just, I'm not going to do it. So if I don't do it and then like a couple other people don't do it. Yeah difference it does it does and I think I think that's pretty cool that like we have this kind of ability now to do it um so the last question I like to ask everybody which you should know because you listen thanks <laughs> um Emily wrote our first review actually for the I show did so happy I like gush I know for a really well, long I time I know how important it is to yeah. have those reviews so that you show up in people's algorithms and that word of mouth stuff is just it's the only way to grow an audience right now in a yes. podcast because there is so much content out there. It is so much work to be an indie podcast. Yeah, it's so much stuff you got to do because you don't, you don't, you have to promote yourself and like yeah. edit yourself and right. like maybe find your own sponsors and like so right. a lot of that is anywho <laughs> for another podcast. Um, so, what for you defines womanhood or being a woman? This is a great question. Because I was talking about this with one of my roommates. Um, She's trans. And Mm. she and I were talking about this. And I think we were talking about how we both have these very different ideas about Mm -hmm. what it means to women. Because it's like, I think we've all, a lot of us at this point have moved past the idea that it's a vagina or it's long Mm -hmm. hair. It's all of those traditionally feminine things. And I told her that for me it was about helping helping other Mm -hmm. women. You know, that that's what I was always taught was that women help women. When you're a little girl and, like, you have, you know, you get your period for the first time. And my mom told me, she was like, if you, if I, if you're ever, like, stuck and you need a tampon or something, you can always ask another woman. She'll get it. Like, she'll be there for you. But my roommate who's trans was like, she's like, as a trans woman, that hasn't been my experience at all. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I've felt really attacked by women before. And Mm -hmm. I felt really put down by women think that kind of made me think that it's that that experience of womanhood of mm-hmm. that sister solidarity mm-hmm. is not shared by a mm-hmm. lot of the female a lot of the female identifying community and I think that kind of made me really think about that where I was like that's always been I thought about mm-hmm. being a woman that has always been the definition I'm like mm-hmm. but it's not true <laughs> I was like oh no <laughs> what are we gonna do if that's not true and mm-hmm. I think I think for me now it's the pursuit of that being true it's the pursuit of that reality there is that sister solidarity and that women can trust each other and you know because you see it on the internet all the time where it's like I was at the bar and I was being hit on by a guy and another girl came to my rescue Mm -hmm. and that but you have to think about that that experience doesn't happen for Mm -hmm. all of us sisters yeah it's not shared and I think that's a it was really eye-opening for me because I never thought that it wasn't shared I was like every woman has had the experience where she's you know (laughs) asked a woman she didn't know for a tampon or like (laughs) You know, something like, or like, you know, gotten a, pretended to be friends with a girl to get away from a guy, and I was like, but we don't all get those experiences mm-hmm. with other women, and I was like, yeah, I have also been attacked by other women, and it's like, I have had bad relationships with other women, so I think being a woman is the pursuit of that actual world where mm-hmm. women can all trust each other and can work together as one lady unit. <laughs> Well, just moving as one. If I move my right foot, you also <laughs> move your right foot. We move together. I like that. That's like a more of a unique answer than I've 
heard in a while, and I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. I've been thinking about it ever since you asked me it. No, but I do. I really like that because I think it's more deep and more pensive and thinking about us kind of moving as one. Yeah. And it's, um, all right, everybody, we are going to be taking a short break and then we will be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's your host, Natalia, and I'm here with Emily Denny. What we're going to talk about is where are the women? So basically, where <laughs> are the women? Clap in between. I just, thought of, I just thought of the clapping. <laughs> I was like, where are the women? Because they're missing from so many things. They're missing everywhere. We're missing. Where are we? I want to see me. It's weird. I don't see anybody that looks like me except Lupita. Although I <laughs> wish I could look like Lupita, but it's not. Um, so we're today we're going to talk about Sandra O. Oh. Mm-hmm. So do you want to take it away? Yeah. Sandra O. Oh, um, not super recently anymore, but re- relatively recently. Yes, but she was the... Emmys aren't until <laughs> September. <laughs> she is the first um, Asian woman to be nominated the category of outstanding performance by a leading actress in the drama. The Emmy Awards titles are so long. <laughs> it's not easy to say on a podcast. But yeah, she's the first Asian woman to be nominated there. And I felt like this fits for Where Are the Women? Because, like, how many Emmys have there been? How long have we been making television mm-hmm. before? I mean, Sandra Oh was on Grey's Anatomy for, like... Ever. Forever, putting in a mate putting in a very good performance. And I think it's just that, like, you think about it, it's like, it took that long. And it's like, even just, like, thinking Sandra Oh, like a 15-year tenure on a mm-hmm. television show. A very successful t- Like, it wasn't like yeah. it was a bit, it wasn't like a General Hospital, which we all know General Hospital mm-hmm. will be around long after we're all gone. But, like, yeah. it was like a, sh- like a show, yeah. you know? So it's like, I always, and it's amazing that she is nominated in, I've watched the show for which she is nominated, and she's awesome. Mm-hmm. But And it's like, you think that it's like, there are so many other kinds of people that have never been nominated for mm-hmm. those sort of things. I think it was, I was reading, like, at the Academy Awards, um, Greta Gerwig is like, I don't know, I think under the 10th woman to be nominated for Best Director at the Academy Awards. Mm. I think the number is, like, under 10. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> crazy. crazy. <laughs> because, like, women have been making content, and I, I, I always like to think about that when um, Halle Berry won Best Actress for that horrible movie back in the day. I can't remember the name. Was it, um... What was the name of that? Google? <laughs> anyway, I'm going to talk about it while you try to figure this out. Um, but it's insane because, like, that movie and everybody, like, unanimously agreed that that was not the movie that she should have gotten, that she shouldn't have won for. And so, but it was kind of like this thing. It's like, oh, look, a black woman won. Versus, yeah. like, is she really winning for something substantial? She's the only black woman that's ever won before. Okay. Monster's see, Ball. Okay, that movie was not good, and we all know it. I feel like it's this thing where it's like people call you out on like, oh, you haven't done this for this group of people. And it's like, and then they like throw you a bone. It's like, oh, hey, look, we did it. It's like, okay, but that definitely was not Halle Berry's best work. That is not something she should have won for. That like, and that kind of sucks because in a weird way, it's like she can't win again. Because mm-hmm. she has that one. Yeah. And so it's like, when it's like, see, we gave you the bone, but it's like she shouldn't win for that role. Yeah. I always think, because people always say that it's like, well, award shows don't matter. I was like, no, they don't. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter who mm-hmm. wins the awards. Like, it doesn't mean that something else was, it doesn't mean that Sandra Oh wasn't good in Grey's Anatomy yes. for 15 years that she hasn't won the award. But I think I was like, well, if award shows don't matter, then 
why can't they be more diverse? Like, because mm-hmm. I, I think that was always the follow-up question when people were like, when people were talking about Oscars so white. Mm-hmm. Like, well, if these award shows don't matter, why do you care? And I was like, I care because they don't matter. Yeah. I was like, if they don't matter, why not make a point to make them diverse and to highlight a wider range of what was offered mm-hmm. this year? And why not, like, make a point yeah. to nominate movies like Get Out? Because Get Out's not the usual Oscar fair, but it's like, I don't know, who cares? <laughs> yeah, because that's the other thing. It's like there's this idea that the nominated movies for Oscars and, and primetime Emmys and whatever, the Screen yeah. Actors Guild, has to be dramatic. These very, right. like, heart-quenching, even if it is a comedy. Like, it's yeah. like these crazy... And it's like movies that, like, people don't have access to unless mm-hmm. you're, like on a coast and like you live in and you not even on a coast but like you're somewhere near like a major art house theater scene yeah like basically in LA mm-hmm. or if you were like at a festival LA like, or New York yeah and it's like dude if you weren't at the Cannes Festival like you probably didn't see the movie I don't know I think if we're supposed to be representative of like what people really loved in movies this yeah. year it should be something that like people actually saw yeah in the movies and not i mean there are certain things obviously that are like really really excellent that definitely should get the reward and maybe not yeah. everybody saw it you know like yeah. the call me by your name right. and, and whatnot and i think um, that's like the balance for me yeah i think that's the balance that it's like call me by your name did get released in a lot of theaters and it was really good and it's like it did have the wide release where mm-hmm. a lot of people got to see it and i think because the nominees this year, I think, you know, they all got a wide enough release mm-hmm. that a lot of people could see them. But it's like, we don't have to, I was like, because I think people misunderstand. It's like, we're rewarding the people's movies, the movies people have seen. I was like, I don't mean, like, that all of the nominees should be the Marvel movies. Oh, like, yeah. No, I was like, I mean, those they were the only movies. But, like, out. they shouldn't be. Because it's like, you always read those lists that, like, white men write, where they're like, these are the movies that should be nominated for the Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. And it was like... Who saw that? Was yeah, like, but you. I was like, was you just, just want to show off how many movies you yeah. saw this year. I was like, you don't actually care about the artistic merit of this dumb award show <laughs> that nobody cares about. Like, I think, like, Black Panther should definitely get nominated. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that Yeah. That movie on its own is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Like, there's such a story, and, like, they did it well, and I think... Yeah. It's the same argument around, like, when Get Out was nominated, yeah. you know, last season. It was a lot of, like, it's not the normal nomination movie. It's, like, does it really fit? Like, yeah. And it was, like, all of this talk about, like, yeah, it's good, but, like, it's not, like, a nomination movie. And, like, but it's a movie. Isn't and that what we do good. here? Yeah, and it's what it's good. Like, isn't that what we do here? We yeah. nominate movies that yeah. are good. There, I think there's this kind of idea of, like, what should be nominated. Yeah. And, and it does have to fit into, like, this certain aesthetic but it's like this movie was also really good. Yeah. So why aren't we highlighting and capitalizing on that? Also, with something that is so public, because I think about something like the Tonys. Mm-hmm. Like, love the Tonys. Love the Tonys. But the Tonys is so much more niche. Yeah, and there's like eighty percent of the people that watch the Tonys have no investment in who wins the awards because they have literally not seen any of them. Yes, you <laughs> especially probably... in the plays section because. This is my own personal thing that they give absolutely no time to the mm-hmm. nominated plays or even like even like explaining what the heck they're mm-hmm. about or something. So it's like you get to those awards where it's just like I don't know. Yeah, because they know. they're not theater is not like 
as easily accessible because it's like right. you have to go to somewhere. It's not like there's a theater around every corner. Right. Well, depending on where you live, you never know. But it's like you can't see Once on the Silent on Broadway in Los Angeles. You can't. Yeah, you, you literally can. can't. You can't. And you can't go see, like, also, like, theater tickets because they're live aren't going to be you know, $5 Tuesday. Yeah. So it's like, there's less accessibility. And also like, even on top of that, it's like actors in those movies, in those movies, sorry, in those, um, in those shows are going to be less recognizable, but like in the theater community, they're like huge. They're stars. And like, if like Derek Clinton is nominated for any, like I would, you know what I mean? Like all of these people. And so, I mean, I, to me, it kind of sucks when they do like these crossovers where they bring like actors, like screen actors onto plays. Mm Mm-hmm. I kind of get annoyed. I was like, guys, what you know? Like, yeah. because it's kind of, to me, it's kind of like you're... Isn't it so fun when you can tell the difference between, like, that screen actor has a theater background? And yes. Because like sometimes I'm like, oh, that person has a theater background and they've been doing movies, yeah. but, like, they're getting back, yes. to, getting back to the wood. And I think the best, truly, like, the best screen actors to me are the ones that got started in theater. Mm-hmm. And you can tell it. Like, yeah. you know... They're like, oh, no, they have a background in theater. Like, that's a real thing. And I was like, yes. But, like, I feel like the Tonys are more authentic and, like, they're less public. And I think they could be even more petty. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, there probably is a lot of, because, you know, theater. But, like, I feel like they're less petty when they're not as public as something like the Oscars or the Emmys. Yeah. If If for nothing else, you should be putting certain people forward because you know that there will be a serious public opinion. Right. And so it's crazy because, like, Sandra Oh is so fantastic, and mm-hmm. I don't think she gets enough praise for, like, her right. comedic ability, for yeah. her, like, drama ability, because, right. like, she can span the spectrum, and it's not because, like, how old is she now? Yeah. You know, like, and she's just yeah. now getting recognized. hmm Yeah. And that's, like, the Viola Davises, the Angela Bassett's of the world, too. Yeah are now up and coming, but it's, like, they've been... Yeah, Viola Davis has been putting in her hours for over 20 years. <laughs> like, let the girl have something. And she's right. so good. That's the right. crazy thing is, like, we... I feel like people get excited about when they see new people, and that's, like, great and all, and you can, like, be a new fan, but I was like, mm-hmm. but they've been out here for a while. Yeah. In stuff where they have been extremely good. Yeah. And we're just not recognizing them for that and I mm-hmm. and I think we're in, I also feel like we're Hollywood is still trying to make people feel comfortable yeah and so it's like this hard thing where it's like when something crazy comes out you feel like you have to be gung-ho about it even if you don't yeah. like it because you know if you're not then yeah. they're never going to make anything again but it's like just because that one movie is bad doesn't mean everything is going to be bad If that makes sense. I know what you mean, because it's like, I love going to the movies. I see Mm -hmm. a movie probably every week, and I think about that that it's like (laughs) that there's such this narrative that you have to have, like, these strong opinions on every Mm -hmm. movie that you see. 85% of the time when I go to the movies, I'm like, I had fun watching a movie. Mm -hmm. It's a thing that I like to do. Every once in a while, I'm like, that was really, really, really good. Like, I loved that. Every once in a while, I'm like, I kind of hated that, but, like... Most of the time, I mean, I was like, all right, no, I liked it. It was good. It was fine. And there's so many movies like that that I'm like, why can't award shows be a place to just show off mm-hmm. diversity? And why can't they be less about the award and more about the, this is what we, like, this is what we as an industry did this year. Mm-hmm. It's like, this was awesome. Like, we had a good year. Like, 
these are all the movies we made. These are all the communities that we were able to highlight. You know, these are all of the points we were able to touch mm-hmm. on because that's what I like about movies. I like mm-hmm. that they can make you feel seen, and I like that you get to go somewhere for an hour, two hours, and and it's like I always like people are always like, what are we gonna do if movies are diverse? It's like I don't know. We're gonna move on. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're gonna move on. I think everything's gonna be fine if they're more diverse. <laughs> but like, it's not gonna hurt anybody. It's not, and it's crazy because it's like you see this, you see this in the real world, like. Yeah, you see mixed company places like it shouldn't it shouldn't be like a scary thing and I people talk about it all the time like I just so want to see a show or a movie that has like a Sandra O in it and like like a like a Shamar Moore and they're just like a couple yeah like these two like completely different backgrounds yeah two amazing actors and they're just acting and it's like a it's a story but it's not about say like their race she yeah. being Asian and him being black. Yeah. It's not like it's just literally about them. And I, I'm if it was a show, I would say like you do have to bring that up because it's part of life. Mm-hmm. But that shouldn't be like the focus of the show. Yeah, exactly. but like a movie. Like the more we normalize it, the more like people will get used to it. The more of it will get. Like yeah. you don't see like a gay couple or a lesbian couple on screen except in very like niche markets and you don't see them having like just a story it's always about like them and their sexuality yeah of like we have so many rom-coms of like yeah yeah and just like or in the sense of just you know what I mean like just Ryan Reynolds and Chris but all of them guys have like thousands of rom-coms of them just like finding a girl and they're like oh she seems kind of cool but she doesn't want to date the douchey guy like yeah you literally just can make that about two dudes yeah you know what I mean like I don't know what the idea is that like oh people aren't gonna see that but I'm like if you make a good movie you made a good movie they'll go yeah they'll go it's not like normalizing those yeah narratives I'm always thinking about that as a writer because I'm like I always feel like that responsibility that it's like I want my work to be more diverse but I feel like you have to get out of your head about it and I think Mm -hmm. as a white person I always think about my writing where I'm like I want to highlight diversity in my Mm -hmm. work but I also it is not my job or my place to inhabit the mind of a person of color Mm -hmm. or somebody that I just can't understand I think there are a range of characters that I feel like I can but I was like I don't. I shouldn't be the one to tell a story about the black community or mm-hmm. you know the Asian community because I don't. I don't know. And I, there are more qualified people to do that. And I was like, but I think a lot of white writers think that they're like, well, like if I can't do it, then I can't do it. And there's so many different ways to yeah. be diverse in your work and to show different sides of people and to make your work better. And I think it also even starts with just attacking what goes on in your own community as mm-hmm. a white person, like highlighting what white people talk about when nobody's mm-hmm. looking and how white people can be petty and racist and without realizing it. And Because I always write about, like, um, a friend of mine noticed, like, a trend. She's like, you write about, like, like upper middle class, like, wealthy mm-hmm. people a lot. I was like, that's, I grew up in those circles. Mm-hmm. Like, I grew up around, like, a lot of those people. And it's like, I like deconstructing that because that's how I can mm-hmm. do my part to making work that is more diverse by making white people not default. Like, making yeah. them have this unique culture that can be really toxic and destructive and that it exists. I was like, upper class white people are a very unique culture of people that have mm-hmm. a, that can be very toxic, that can mm-hmm. be very petty, and, you know, mm-hmm. and they have a different way of talking and a different way of speaking. And I was like, they're not in default. <laughs> they're like, not, they're yeah, different. That's they're, a different group of people. You're right. Cause you, you can't speak to like 
right. quote unquote black experience. But I, what you can do is is write characters in which race does not matter. Exactly. Yeah. So like if you're casting, you could be like, oh, I think she'd be a great Janet or he'd be a great Peter. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean like it has yeah. to be a white. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I for some reason it's like that's always our default is like it's it's like oh well it doesn't no it's like actually you could have made it any person you just chose yeah a white person like that's what I I mean I think what was great like about Love, Simon was it was an extremely diverse cast yeah but it wasn't it didn't feel wasn't about that yeah it wasn't about that it wasn't it was awesome that his I mean, y'all should have seen it by now. It was awesome that he finds out, like, the person that... It was diverse without trying to be diverse. I love that his love interest ends up being, like, black. And then it just turns out being, like, black and half Jewish. And, like, you know, like, all these different kind of things. And it's, like, his friend is... Like, his friends are, like, this diverse group of Mm -hmm. people. And it just kind of is. You know what I mean? And I think, like, we forget that. I'm like, no, but this is literally what people look like in high school like we're gonna yeah. hang out with like a bunch of different people and mm-hmm. they weren't and the cool thing about that also is like they weren't the most popular kids but it you know it doesn't it didn't give that vibe of these were the popular kids and you know what I mean yeah because it's like I always think about that when it's like oh these were the popular kids and everyone else got bullied I was like it's a little more nuanced than yeah that, it's you know? definitely it's not like oh these are the popular kids but it also wasn't like oh these are the the geeks the losers, like, yeah there wasn't any of that and I feel like that's always something that you see in movies, but it's like, yeah. no, it's like more complex than that. It was yeah. just people. And I like when I was watching it, it's like in the story of like a rom-com, I think regardless of your sexuality, like anyone could identify with that yeah. movie, which was which was so fabulous yeah. to me. You always wonder when those things happen. It's like, is this actually going to so mm-hmm. change? Like, is this actually going to make people, because I'm thinking about the Crazy Rich Asians, which mm-hmm. I am so excited for. Oh, but dude, I'm like, so is this actually going to lead to more movies about Asian people and Asian American mm-hmm. and Asian culture? And I don't know. And I think it's like, because I think everyone thinks that it's like, all right, we did it. Like, we made the movie that yeah. was diverse. It's like, no, we didn't. Like, if this movie inspires another movie like this, mm-hmm. then we did it. Like, then we did yes. something. And if it just, it, if it inspires other, like, more nuanced topics besides just, right. like, this one topic. Yeah. Because I think, like, a lot of people are like, oh, black people have movies. Like, look at Precious. No. Precious was, like, PTSD waiting to happen. Like, it's a very... It's a specific topic. It's yeah. a very specific topic. And it, it already, it kind of played into stereotypes I think people already had about black yeah. people. And while it's, like, a beautiful story or whatever, it's just, like... Then we got Black Panther. Mm-hmm. That that's completely different, and that's something that people didn't think that we could have. Yeah, yeah they're like wealthy black people, like who don't want to be like the white man, who don't want to like that's not going to sell. Yeah, kind of thing, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. jokes on you. But it's like we. So I'm what I'm hoping is like Crazy Rich Asians. I've heard it's good. Mm-hmm. But, like, I hope it, like, launches to not yeah. just, like, in this one silo, but, like, if we're, we can make other movies about Asian people, right. which will be so fabulous. Yeah. But, um, Emily, thank you so much for joining me Thank you for having me. It was fabulous. Is there anything that you want to plug? Um, I would love to plug my podcast. Can I do that? <laughs> yes. Can yes. I plug my podcast? And that's why we have all the plugs, yes. Um, I host a podcast uh, called the X Theater Kid Podcast that you find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Um, we're also on 
Facebook is the best platform to follow us on um, if you want updates about things we're doing. Um, we're just coming out of a hiatus. Um, I don't know when this episode will air, but we're just coming out of a hiatus. We could use your love. Um, we talk about musicals and doing high school musicals. Um, oh, I don't have a good elevator pitch for it, but it's a lot of fun. And me and my co-hosts have a great time, and you should totally uh, come and join us for an episode or two two <laughs> and emily's hysterical so i really encourage all the listening of it um yeah. so everybody please rate review and subscribe to the show it really really helps like physically leaving a review like a thumbs up something um but rate review and subscribe please follow us um on instagram and twitter at pretty face lady three and you can also find us on facebook at more than a pretty face And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please feel free to email us at prettyfacedwomen at mtapfpodcast.com. All right, talk to you soon.